0: Go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out of how God has given us. It's all from him. It's all for him. And as the baskets are being packed and all, passed and all that stuff, uh, I want to highlight something that we started to roll out this morning. As you walked in, you saw some tables on your left uh, with a bunch of papers that say, I'm in. Uh, those are there because we believe three things about all of us. One of those is that every single one of us is wired for community. Life is better when there are people around us. Second thing we believe is within that wiring, that there's a desire to serve in all of us. We see a disaster and our natural response, nobody has to tell you this, is to say, how can I fix this? How can I help this? And the third thing that we believe is that God's church, every church across the planet, uh, is going to be built up as men and women like us say, okay, where can I serve out of areas that God has already put inside me uh, and who do who should I get to know as I'm serving? So those things come together uh, in what makes Mountain View Sunnyside. That we're a church that's run from the inside, empowered from the inside. And so we've got seven ways where us as a church can look at it regardless of how God has wired you and the things that get you out of bed each morning and you're like, yes, I can make a difference here. Uh, Regardless of what that is, we've got areas where we can say, look at and jump in and say, I'm in, and we're going to profile the first of those right here. Let's roll tape. Good morning, Sunnyside. My name is Jeff, and today I'd love to tell you about our setup and teardown teams. Mountain View Sunnyside being a mobile church requires a lot of time and effort to get things set up for Sunday morning, which is why we are so thankful that a group of volunteers shows up early on Sunday to get church ready for later that day. Then after second service, another group sticks around to help put everything back. Set up in the morning includes setting up the hub, getting Sunday school ready, and setting up the stage. This is a great opportunity to be involved at Sunnyside, not only do we set everything up and get everything going but we also build connections and deepen our relationships if you're interested in being part of our setup team or breakdown crew you can talk to me or anybody on staff here let us know that i'm in Alright, cool. So those are seven areas for us as a church. If you're interested in getting involved in a setup team or our extraction force, which is a cooler way of saying tear down and make everything go away team, uh, talk to anyone who's been on stage with the microphone or you can sign up at the table as you head out today. So today we're continuing uh, our journey through 2 Corinthians. It's a book written by a guy who hated Christians until the day that he became one. So if you've got any uh, ounce of skepticism about the Bible or religion in general, uh, the guy Paul who wrote this book is a per- per- like the perfect person uh, for you. So right now what we're going to be in is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1. You can go there in your Bible or in your app. We'll be uh, in verses 1 through 10 today. Uh, And and we're looking at new life. We're looking at new value in the value uh, that God puts on each of our bodies. Okay, so Paul had something to him that happened that changed everything. He met Jesus one day. He's going on a mission to destroy the church and Jesus comes into his life uh, and stops him on his trail, knocks him off of his donkey and says, for now, you're working for me. And so everything in Paul's life changed at that point. For us, we've gotten moments in our lives, regardless of if you're a Christian, an atheist, agnostic, a toddler, whatever it is, there's something in your life that changed that caused you to look differently at everything around you, Okay pause that idea. Endgame came out a few weeks ago, and basically everyone on the planet who likes superhero movies uh, has been to see the movie. Sean the Apprentice went to see it twice within 24 hours because when you're 19, that's just normal for you. Uh, for me, I like Endgame is number 21 of this 11-year series of Marvel movies. Uh, they've put out 21 movies in 11 years, all telling one story, and I've been to see a grand total of Zero of them. None of them. Somebody's jaw just dropped. Two people's jaw just dropped. Uh, The reason behind that, okay, hear me out on this, is two months before Iron Man came out, Eden was born. Eden is our oldest kid, and she was unhappy for like the first year of her life. So the idea of taking a a toddler that was or a tiny baby that was about the size of my Bible but screamed louder than all of us combined into a theater would be a very bad idea for everyone. So like movie seeing at that point, that normal thing in life is you go and you see movies, like that stopped for us immediately. Uh, In 11 years since Marvel has put out 21 movies, I've been to see seven movies. Uh, seven movies in the theater. All right, I saw the Jason Bourne, both of those movies that came out, and because of his last name, you have to say the first and the last name because it rhymes with bad stuff. Uh, I've seen both Star Wars movies, and then Anna and I have been out to see a movie on a date three times in 11 years. One of those was Up!, While Eden was 17 months old and Anna was already pregnant with Ellie. So the first 20 minutes of up on the emotional stability of a new mom and a pregnant mom, that is horrific. So don't do that uh, if you're expecting. Don't see up ever if if you've got young kids in the house. So for us, like, like the babies coming into the world uh, totally changed the way that, that we see movies. And since then, like we don't watch movies because of the parent life, you, you sit still in a room with the lights off. For me, I'm like 90 seconds and then I am out snoring loudly uh, And what we're looking at today is the way that God invades our life. He challenges us and he gives us a new perspective at looking at things. And what we're going to look at today is a new perspective and a new way of looking at something that we've had with us for forever. And that is a new perspective and a new way of looking at our bodies, our bodies, The reason is because what we're going to look at today, we see that God puts a very, very high value on what we do with our bodies and the way that we treat our bodies good and bad and also treat other people's bodies good and bad. And what he's going to say is, I've got something better for you. I've got something better. And that's great for our culture and our day because everything else that you're going to see hates the way that we, like, like, teaches us to hate our bodies. Every magazine that you're going to see has either got something bad or something good about bodies. And we only put a small segment of the human population on the front of those. And and in a way, what that does is it teaches everybody else to hate their body. And so what we're going to look at today uh, is first the, the, the science about what happens when our body dies, or the biblical science about what happens when our body dies, and then a new way to use our body to please God. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, uh, and right away where this is going to start with is it's going to start with death. There's a lot of stuff that's talked about in the Bible about death, and it usually talks about mourning. It's usually a lot more sensitive understanding that death is a painful thing for us. Jesus, while he was on earth, he cried when one of his friends dies. So we can see that death is this thing that's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to take away pain. But what he talks about here is a different approach to death. And so we we hold this in one hand and we hold every other account in the other hand and we form like a more rounded understanding of what death does to us. It is something that's painful. Jesus cried over death. We can cry over death. We have a green light from God to do that. But it's not all bad. Death, first off, death is still, regardless of how much we try to push it off and not let death happen in our lives, death is still an inevitable gift from God. And that's the way that the passage leads us. This is where the Bible pushes us. Verse one, for we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that means when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. He's saying right here, he's giving us this picture of your body being like a tent. And what do you do after you sleep in a tent? You collapse it and you move on to something better, all right? That's what our ancestors did is they lived outside until they invented houses and they all moved inside and they were really happy about it. He's saying this is what life is going to be like. Like our bodies on earth will one day die. And for us as Christians, we go to live in heaven with God. What we talked about last week was was that pushes us to look at our lives differently because what it means is every day that we have on here on earth with all of its goodness and with all of its heartache is one heartbeat from being gone because we're going to go to heaven to be with Jesus if we ask God into our life to forgive us of our sin and run all of our life through him. What that also means is if we live our lives away from Jesus that this life is the best life that we'll ever have. Because if we live our whole life resisting Jesus, pushing him away, saying, I want nothing to do with you, then we spend an eternity doing the same thing. Spending eternity away from Jesus and having nothing to do with Jesus in a place that the Bible calls hell. And we don't say that to frighten people, to scare people, to say, this is what the Bible says, you need to get over it. But to be the hands and words and lives of Jesus and the ambassadors that he uses here, to give people an opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you say you'd feel like you're still in the place where you're pushing God away, you want nothing to do with Jesus, then at the end of today, you can have an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life, to find forgiveness, to begin a relationship with Jesus today that he wants, that he's pursuing you for. That's why he pulled you to this place today. But for us as Christians, we can look at death as an inevitable gift from God. That idea of the tent being torn down and us going to live in a house, that's a life verse for everyone who considers roughing it being a hotel without room service. And the language that he has in this is that this life here, everything we do here is temporary because one day when our body stops living, our soul is going to live eternity eternally with Jesus. I think that that's something that we learn as Christians. Kids who grow up in church, we learn that early. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, hearing about going to heaven after, uh, after this life and our soul lives forever. And I thought that means my body can never die. So I get in an argument with some kids uh, that I grew up with and one of them says, I'm gonna kill you because that's what little kids do is they're not serious. They're just trying to escalate the situation. And I said very loudly for all my neighbors to hear, I'm a Christian, you can't kill me. And then I went home and my dad's like, son, it's not totally like that. You can very much die, so don't go playing on the freeway anytime soon. But when your physical body dies, your soul lives in heaven with Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about here. It's an upgrade language. If your phone is still as big as your face, it's time to upgrade your phone. And he's saying, like, like that's what life is like your body will one day die, and then we go to heaven. Verse 2, he says, We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be like spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, some more than others. uh, But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Like This is really real and honest about pain and death. And in our world, there's so many things that try to neutralize death. It's, we talk about it as going to a better place, uh, as, as passing away is no longer with us. What the Bible says is, is death. It happens. We die. And then where it goes from there is, is that we go live with Jesus. And in the meantime, we experience things like groaning. Like, our bodies, all of us, are going to get old. We have two options, either getting old or tragically dying before that. For us, I vote for number one. Like, I, yeah, I would rather get old. And here, it's, it's giving us a green light in that, that for us, we're going to get old. These groans that happen, like this is a normal part of life. And within that, there, there's a desire for, for something more. There's a desire for heaven. And there's a lot of incorrect things that we believe about heaven. We think that it's going to be a boring place up in the clouds playing a harp and singing for all eternity. And some of us we can look at that and say, like, that sounds bad. I want to do something. I just don't want to sing and play a lame harp like I'd rather run around and have good guitar players and stuff and drummers like we have here at Sunnyside. And that's what heaven is. is, is it's a celebration. It is better than a picture of boring. And, then, and Paul's explaining this, and then he brings in the Holy Spirit as a witness. He's saying that the Holy Spirit, God inside of us, reminds us that something better is coming. Verse 5, he says, God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. This is like down payment language, right? We have made our down payment when you put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and as your forgiver, and you say, I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life. That's our down payment into heaven. And then the rest of our life is continuing to, to, to pay towards going to heaven, towards building that eternal house. And a whole lot of life happens before we die. So for the whole, whole lot of life left, like what do we do? And that's the rest of the passage. Our bodies give us opportunities to please God, and Jesus will one day judge us for what we do with our bodies. Like there's a ton right in that statement, okay? All of us expect judgment in some area of our life at some point. Like I said, we are created, we are wired internally to serve. We see a disaster and we don't have to be told, hey, you should go do something about that. This is like an inner wiring for us to say, I wanna help people who need help. So we know that running away from disasters, I'm not fixing somebody who needs a lot of help. We understand judgment for that. But what he's saying here is there's actually an account that we're gonna have to give one day to God for what we do with our bodies. And that judgment word right there is that in our world today, like that's worse than not recycling, all right? That's worse than dumping everything in the trash and sending it to the landfill because we hate the idea of being judged. And Jesus is straight on right here where he says, One day I'm gonna judge everyone. And so if we follow Jesus, we understand the fact that judgment is coming for us, and there's two judgments. One of them is in eternity. Where are we going to spend eternity? We're judged on what we do with Jesus. We're judged in that. And we, we we're judged in how we respond to the offer of salvation. What that means is that before any of us had ever done anything good or ever done anything bad, God looked at you the day you were conceived, knew everything that was going to happen for the rest of your life, and said, that person right there, I love them. That's, that's who you are. You can't change that. That's your identity from God. Boom, loved. Every person across the planet loved. And all of us know that within each of us, there's a sin nature that runs away from the person that God created, that God says loved. We run away from that. We say, I'm doing things my way. We sin, which is what the Bible calls anything we do that hurts God or hurts other people or hurts ourselves. And what that sin does is it brings judgment upon us. So when the Bible talks about judgment, as Christians, we look at that, we have to look at that and say, okay, that's totally me. I deserve to be judged by God because of the things that I did. But what Jesus did that, that is so foundational to our understanding of who he is, is he walked into our world, lived without ever needing to be judged, which means that he never sinned. And on the cross, this is why Christians love crosses, Jesus took on our judgment so in our life we can take on the judgment that he deserved. He traded places with us. He took the judgment of living lives full of sin like you and I do so that we get to stand before God when we die and take on Jesus' judgment for ourselves. That just as Jesus lived perfectly because we're Christians and we've accepted Jesus into our life, it's as if we lived perfectly. It's as if we never sinned because we've asked Jesus to come into our life and forgive us of our sin. What that means is if we live apart from Jesus, we're still living under the judgment of God. And so, around judgment, then the question is, in this judgment that Paul's talking about, the question is, what did you do with Jesus? That's the judgment that we're gonna receive one day as Christians for what we do with our bodies. What did you do with this? This life that I've given you, this new freedom, this new found uh, sinlessness that I've given you, forgiveness that I've given you, What are you gonna do with it for the rest of your life? And that's what Paul talks about in verse nine. He says, so whether we're here in this body, like we haven't died yet, or we're away from this body, we're in heaven now, our goal is to please God. For we will all stand before Christ to be judged. We'll each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. He's getting specific. He says, in your body, you're gonna receive either good or evil for what you've done. And this doesn't, again, this doesn't affect our salvation. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus, saying that, that we, it's an undeserved privilege that we get from God, that we get to inherit Jesus's judgment instead of the judgment that we deserve. That's the only way that we're saved from hell, but faith that saves is never alone. Saying it is that new life that God puts inside of us, new forgiveness, a new trajectory on the way that we live, that never just stays inside of us. It works its way out of us through everything that we do and how we treat people and how we treat ourselves and how we treat God. It's this new radical life inside of us that makes a difference in everything else. It's that big thing that changes the way that we address everything else. And he's saying that that happens in your body. And there are four big ways that hit us in our culture about how this is lived out through our bodies. And the first of those he talks about in verse six. He says, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. He's talking about living living in fear of death. We're saved so that we can live in confidence, not fear around death. For us as Jesus followers, and for those of you here who are Jesus followers, man, when we die one day, we're going to go to heaven. And it's going to be so much better than anything else we will ever experience here. What that does is it doesn't cause us to put up guardrails to make sure that everything is safe. And that gives us a, a, a confidence to go into every area of life knowing that there's no stray bullet for a Christian. And we can live our lives fearlessly and not let fear dictate what we say. I, I heard a great story as I was getting ready for this this week. There's a missionary named John who grew up in Scotland, and he felt like God was calling him to go be a missionary from Scotland where he grew up to the South Pacific. Okay? So if you just look at this from a weather perspective, he's going from soggy, cold, damp Scotland to the beaches of the South Pacific. This guy is my hero. All right? So he's telling this to his church, and there's a guy that says, you know what? You know who lives down there? You know who you're going to go tell people about Jesus? Cannibals. And you're going to go get eaten by these cannibals as you tell them about Jesus. And he writes this in his autobiography. He says, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, which means old. Your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. It's good stuff right there. I confess to you that I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus. It will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer 150 years before they are invented, mic drop, right? He's saying, we're both gonna get eaten by something. And it's a matter of if I live my life on mission like this, it could be cannibals or it could be worms, God's in charge, I'm letting him decide. Two things from this. One, uh, it was definitely worms. Like he died at home safe at the age of 82. Second thing is, is whether or not we're called to be missionaries in the South Pacific, which would be pretty cool. Whether or not we are, it's, it's still an invitation. It's a green light to live our lives not being afraid of everything that could happen. How do we do that? Like, how do we just not be afraid? think you look at Paul who wrote this. You look at other people who write things like this in the Bible, and the difference is, is they know how good God is. They know how good God is, and they understand that, that life spent with God is better than life here on earth. And that's so much of a challenge to us who have comfortable lives because we look at everything good in our life and we say, I don't want to die before I experience insert blank here. I don't want to die before I can do this. I don't want to die before I can do that. And we're telling God, basically, I don't think that you are better than insert thing here. And this doesn't give us permission to go live unintelligently. Instead of saying we're living open-handed, saying, God, my life is yours. Do with, do with it whatever you want. And second thing is we're saved so we care about all life from womb to tomb. Last week was Mother's Day. We, we talked about the Pregnancy Care Center uh, and the fundraiser that we are partnering with them in on uh, that as you walked in last week a lot of you grabbed baby bottles. We bring those back on Father's Day uh, filled with money that's going to go towards creating a culture of life here in Fresno and Clovis. Uh, but we just like had a zoom over it really quickly. I want to stop here, and especially as we're talking about bodies and everything in our culture about who has the right to control bodies and all that stuff, uh, I want to highlight what they do and what God's Word says about this. Um, So according to their website, Pregnancy Care Center provides pregnancy testing with verification, ultrasound examinations to confirm pregnancy, community resources and referrals, Classes on parenting, nutrition, childbirth, uh, infant resources and supplies, and post-abortion support. The pregnancy Care Center does not provide or refer for abortion. So why does that matter? Like, that's a bunch of good information. It's a bunch of good stuff. Uh, that matters because in our country last year, there were 600,000 babies uh, who were aborted. And we understand that God's, um, God's idea of life begins at conception. That where we read where it talks about in Psalm 139 that he saw me being formed in my mom's womb. And we talk about things that God uh, puts on kids before they were even born. Blessings that God puts on kids while they're still in the womb. Uh, We also see the the place of babies as being completely silent uh, and defenseless. And we say that this is something that God would get behind to fight. We also see that not a single one of us in our personhood, and our viability as people, that that's based on what we can do, that it's based on our identity, that it's based on the fact that we are men and women, we are sons and daughters made in God's image, and therefore, even from inside the womb, deserve protection, deserve rights, deserve safety. And so what we do as Christians is we do a number of things. And one is uh, for people who have gone through abortion and walked that road or pushed somebody else to it or financed an abortion, uh, we meet that with grace and mercy and forgiveness and second chances and love. And we do everything in that the best that we can. As a church, we do that as individuals the best as we can to show the love of Jesus because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Second thing we do is we try to resource Uh, organizations that do this better than we do. Like I'm super limited as a person. So what I wanna do is I wanna put my resources behind an organization like Pregnancy Care Center that's actually going into situations that are dark and hopeless and are making a difference in the lives of kids being born that would have been aborted. We get behind this. And this isn't just a women's issue. For us as guys, what do we do? We take care of people who are defenseless uh, and, and stuck and can't get out of their own situation which means that we take care of babies that are still in the womb. We create a culture of life in every area that we possibly can. Uh, and this is our conviction. This is what we do as a church is is to make uh, this place safe and encouraging for everyone who possibly comes uh, whether they're babies, whether they're human grown-ups and whatever and we want to offer love and mercy and support to everyone and then we also get involved in areas in ministries that are doing that specifically around the unborn to create a culture of life through every stage of life from womb to tomb. And that that means that as things are going crazy with legislation and as, as uh, Georgia and Alabama have passed laws to protect the unborn, we celebrate that. And I know that your timeline looks the same as mine and there's lots of blowback on either side of the aisle. And in this, we walk the aisle of Jesus. We walk the aisle of life uh, to create a culture of life here the best that we can. Second thing is, is we are saved, so we surrender to God. I'm gonna stop there. Uh, one thing I wanna be abundantly clear on is this is a grace filled issue for us which means that there's no signs outside saying if you've done this you're not welcome here that's not at all what we stand for Uh, as a church we stand for love and grace and forgiveness and new life that happened for us when we were moved from sinners and cast to hell on a way to hell uh, to people who have been redeemed and brought back by Jesus and we now sit and sit here as sons and daughters of Jesus because he came in and forgave us we want to do the same thing as a church so hear me on that one clearly okay next thing We're saved so we surrender to God what we do with our bodies sexually. Just as exciting. Uh, Our bodies are not our own. They're given to us by God and with that, uh, God created sex. It wasn't something that God created uh, or God created Adam and Eve and then went to take a lunch break and came back and oh my goodness, what's going on? Uh, God created the, the passion behind sex. God created the magnetism behind sex and God created the the reproductive power behind sex. And he created that to exist within a lifelong marriage that's safe and encouraging and and protective of both people. And so God created sex to exist between one man and one woman in one marriage for one lifetime, which means that heterosexual marriage is the place where sex is created to grow and to flourish. And so for us as Christians, us standing accountable one day for God, which means that when it comes to our bodies, when it comes to sex, that we have to deal with both sins of omission, things that we don't do, and also sins of commission, things that we do do. Uh, in the prequel to Second Corinthians, which is amazingly called First Corinthians, uh, Paul is explaining this passage really, uh, this idea really clearly. And he says, every single Christian man, you have a responsibility to please your wife which means you please your wife uh, in emotionally and relationally and financially not spending money that she doesn't know about, and also sexually. This is our duty to understand what our spouse wants, and that doesn't just mean on your birthday. And he flips it around the same way. For wives, your job is to understand how to please your husband emotionally, relationally, financially, not blowing money that he doesn't understand, uh, that he doesn't know about, and also sexually which goes way beyond just on birthdays. It goes into a normal, this being a normal part of our relationship because it's a joy, it's a gift from God given to us that we, uh, that, that we take care of inside our bodies sexually. And that means that we have to make a plan. It's not just something where we can say, okay, God, I'm ready, and I just want you to flood me with a rush of I'm going to do the right thing now forever. No, that's not how God works. God partners with us to walk out our salvation, to walk out the new life that he's given us, which means that sometimes we have to take the first step and let God walk with us as we say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you, even in this area of sexuality. And that means we make a plan about how to make our marriages a sexually healthy place. And that means sometimes you gotta ask for forgiveness. You gotta make things right relationally so that rightness moves on to being right sexually. You gotta do the emotional work to build the foundation that that a sexually healthy relationship can live in. And that also means that as we run toward doing the right thing, we're gonna run from doing the wrong thing. Again, God created sex to exist between one man and one woman in one marriage for one lifetime which means that porn and masturbation and premarital sex and homosexuality are things that God wants to give us freedom from. That God, as we say, okay, Lord, I'm messed up. I need help in here. God doesn't say, get away from me, pervert. He says, come to me and find new life, find forgiveness, find new habits, find a new way of doing things. And as we admit we're weak to God, to other people, we're going to find freedom. We're gonna find this area of our physical bodies which God says one day you're gonna give an account to everything that happens with your bodies. We can say this is an area where God changed me, where God renewed me, where God took away my way of doing things and he led me into his way. And the last thing is finally on a lighter note, all right? This got dark for a while. He says we're saved so we can, get, so we can work to get the most out of the bodies that we've been given. You and I have one body for a lifetime of serving Jesus and serving those around us, one body. And as we're going to give an account to God for everything that we do with his body, I think part of it is also going to kind of come down to how we've made the body that we have last as long as possible. For all of us, we're going to groan on an ever-increasing scale as we get older. Nobody's going to get older physically and then get younger in their knees, all right? That one's not happening for any of us. And so it's an area of obedience for us following what God says about gluttony, but also, saying, okay, God, you've got a lifetime of stuff you wanna do through me. I wanna partner with you in seeing that happen by keeping myself in shape. So how are we gonna do that, right? I figured it out on Google this week. Uh, There are 226 days left in 2019. When I started to get serious about running again a few years ago, my goal for a year, it was a leap year, I decided I wanna run 366 miles in this year. And what that did was two things. One is it kept me on, it gave me a goal of what I wanna shoot for each week and each month, but it also Let me take a few days off every now and then because I could build up time or catch up. So my challenge for us, if you're looking, how on earth do I get in shape? Okay, here's two freebies. One is in those 226 miles or 226 days that we have left, decide I'm gonna walk 200 miles uh, remaining in 2019. What that might mean is you finally kick it in on December 20th and we pick you up somewhere in LA uh, when you finally hit your 200. You just call Greg and he'll just Uber down and pick you up. Uh, and the second thing is in these 226 days, decide I'm going to eat 200 healthy meals for the rest of the year. Some of you could start that today and finish it tomorrow, which would be amazing. That would be some big-time stretchy pants for you. But to decide, okay, God, you've given me a body, and the more that I can keep my body healthy, the more we can do. It's a horrible idea to say, okay, I'm just going to trash my body, and God can do whatever he wants with me. Like, that's just mean but to say, okay, God, I'm gonna put myself in a place where you can do whatever you want through me because I'm gonna have the energy to do more than just stand up at the end of the message before we sing so that I can do what you have for me with the bodies you've given me. And with all of this, none of this is done to say, okay, God, notice me, save me. This is done because God in his goodness, in his perfection, looked down at us in our brokenness, pulled us out of death, pulled us out of sin and invited us into a new life with him. That's the good news of salvation. That's the good news of the life that we have with Jesus. And the rest of this is just us living in glad obedience to our God who saves us and loves us. Let's stand and pray.